I'm taking us this time to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. We always recommend that you have your Bible open before you when you listen to these recordings. So, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's prayer for the spiritual strength of Christians. Observe how the prayer closes in verses 20 and 21. Listen again. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Still in Ephesians, turn a page or two. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In both passages, when the Apostle Paul speaks of the church, he associates the church with God with Christ, and with glory. To God be glory in the church. In Ephesians 5.27, according to the New King James, a glorious church. I want to make this point. If the New Testament speaks of the church in terms of glory, we should be so inclined. When God tells us he has a spiritual family, when God then tells us how we can enter that spiritual family, then when God says that family is the church of Jesus Christ and he speaks of that church with this word glory, we should immediately join God in that praise, that admiration. Particularly, as expressed in the Ephesian 5 passage. 
If it is the desire of Christ for his church to be glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it be holy without blemish, our interest in the church should be the same. Christ not only wants his people to place this value on his church, he wants us to submit individually to the cleansing through the word that would result in this eternal glory. For the sake of correct thinking and right living, we need to appreciate what the New Testament says about Christ church. There is in the New Testament the glorious church. We cannot ignore it. We should not want to downplay it. We should not apologize for it. We should read what Paul wrote and without hesitation take the same view he expressed of this glorious church and have the same desire Christ has for it. It will help us to be the kind of people God intends us to be when we acknowledge what the New Testament says about the church. So I'm going to talk to us in this recording about the glorious church, and as that phrase is used in these passages, I'm hoping we will view it that way and use this kind of terminology and have it in our lives. So we're not really talking about a single local church here or a group of local churches in some designated area or time. Instead, the glorious church, which takes in all of the people anywhere who are living under the authority of Christ. While we know Christians, as part of their commitment, should be engaged with other Christians in the Lord's work where they live in a sound local church, the local church is really not our focus in this study. The center of our attention is the whole body of Christ. In the universal sense, the glorious church, we need to know what the New Testament says about this, embrace it wholeheartedly, and be a vital and living part of what Christ loves and wants. Now, when Paul says the church is glorious, what is the significance of that? In Ephesians 5.27, glorious church. The word used by Paul is about something that is far beyond the ordinary, not something manufactured by men, nor even something that expresses material or natural beauty. It is about a creation of God that is magnificent and that causes good hearts to express their praise to God and see any participation that God has ordained. It is something that carries the imprint of God's making, and the beauty of it causes good-hearted people to praise God. I've been to the Grand Canyon, Diamond Head in Hawaii, high into the mountains of Arkansas and Utah. We visited Carlsbad Caverns one time. You've had these experiences where you just stand there and take in the natural evidence of God's creation. And your response is to praise God, to be thankful to him, and seek to be closer to the one who made all this. Well, 
when you read what the New Testament says about the Lord's church, your response should be even greater, deeper, and there should be a strong desire to be a part of what Christ died to have as his own and to be a happy recipient of the cleansing of the word ongoing in your life. For the Lord's church is no mountain or sea or cave. It is the living, breathing creation of God. It is the people bought by the blood of Christ. It is the redeemed in fellowship with God, being cleansed by the word and waiting for their final transition into heaven and living every day to that end. We need a strong sense of wonder and respect for the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Here are the points I want to make about that. Christ built this church. Simon Peter spoke the truth about who Jesus is, and Jesus followed up his confession with this promise, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, to track that promise to fulfillment on the day of Pentecost, just keep reading from Matthew 16 over into Acts chapter 2. Jesus built his glorious church. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, the same one who confessed the truth about who Christ is, told the assembled crowd the truth about Jesus Christ. Then he convicted them of their sin. He announced the remedy provided by God in Christ, and people said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Those who responded became members of the glorious church. Isn't it fitting to ask yourself, am I a member of the church Jesus built? If he built one, and I love and respect him, I want to be associated with him in this glorious church and therefore in fellowship with God. Once I understand that the church is his people, I want to become one of his people and live as one of his people. Jesus built his glorious church. We should never hesitate to tell people what the New Testament teaches about the Lord's church and urge people to evaluate their relationship with the Lord accordingly. The New Testament doesn't offer hundreds of denominational options. I want to be a part of what Jesus built. It matters. Who built the church you were in matters. Christ built the glorious church that you read about in the New Testament, and he sent his apostles out with the news. Who Jesus is and how we respond to him to be cleansed and in fellowship with God. We need to be certain we are part of what Christ built, what he died for and loves and wants to present to the Father, sanctified and cleansed. Secondly, I want to say, Christ is the head of this church. He built it, and he is the head. We don't make this up. Ephesians 1.22, God put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church. This is straight from the Bible, folks. This is why we tell people to read their Bibles and see the simple truth God has revealed. Christ built a church, the church, and he is its head. He is over his people, the church. Now, if you want to know if someone is a member of the single glorious church, the answer is, are they living under the authority of Christ, who is the head? Those who have been baptized into Christ and who live under his authority are members of his church. The church is glorious because Christ is the head. Those not under his headship, regardless of their earthly claims and associations, are not in his church. Turn in your New Testament to Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was concerned about false teaching. You know, there are many people today who do not share Paul's concern about false teaching. No effort is made to compare what preachers say to the Scriptures. No commitment to distinguish truth and error. Well, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles were not so casual. Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae to warn them and keep them from error. And I want to read what he said in Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Jesus Christ is the head of his glorious church. And when the people who make up that body do not hold fast to the head, what happens is decay. Notice that phrase, not holding fast to the head. The church is composed of people who have obeyed the gospel and who are holding fast to the head. It is a glorious church because Christ built it and because Christ is the head of it. We need to understand what the New Testament says about these things. There needs to be clarity in our thought and then no hesitation to praise God for this valuable relationship, the glorious church of Christ that we can be a part of. Number three, the church is composed of Christ people. The church is composed of Christ people. Here is such a critical point. Anytime we talk about the church, so listen carefully. Christ didn't build a literal building, brick and mortar. Christ didn't build a confederation of churches. Christ didn't set up a denominational religion. The church in the New Testament is people, people who belong to Christ. 
Acts 2.47 tells us, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Today, when an individual hears the gospel, wants to be forgiven by the blood of Christ, so they confess their faith in Christ, turn from their sin, and obey the Lord in baptism, the Lord adds them to the one church, the glorious church of Christ. There should be, as taught by the apostles, participation with other Christians where you are, a local congregation, to the best of your ability, participation with other Christians in your area. But that's an obligation and an initiative that should be discharged by the new Christian. I believe there are consequences if one shuns the nourishment God intends for us to find in that local family, local spiritual family. But at the point where one obeys the gospel, this says that one is added to the church in fellowship with God, the universal church. Once in this family, the church, there is lifelong obligation. As Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul said, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. I've presented to you in this recording from Ephesians, Matthew, Acts, Colossians, 1 Timothy, what is written about the glorious church. The point is not just to hold the correct concept in your mind, while all our concepts of spiritual things should be just as taught in the Bible, holding correct views is not the end, but only a step to the end. The end is to see what God has done for us through Christ, by His grace, respond with a whole heart, be a faithful member of the Lord's church, and then, being faithful throughout your life, go to heaven. There will come a time, unknown by any of us, there will come a time when God calls the church home. We read a few moments ago in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Remember, the church is the redeemed all of those individuals who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. How do you respond to become a part of this that is so honored by Christ? How does one respond? The apostles didn't leave that up to us. The apostles didn't leave that open for determination by councils or religious power brokers. The apostles said, if you've heard the gospel and you believe in Christ, Confessing that belief, repent and be baptized, and the Lord adds you to his church, also called the kingdom and the body of Christ and God's family. What a disaster to hear this from the Bible and just ignore it and die. May God help you respond to his word. Thank you for listening.